welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio on this live broadcast from Studio 14. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Wednesday, December 27, 2023. South Sudanese activists say gender-based violence is on the rise and it often goes unpunished. Women and girls, even boys and men that go through violence, uh, including domestic violence, child marriage, forced marriages. So there are many cases coming up. Also on the show, the year 2023 broke temperature records all over the world. July 2023 was the warmest July on record for the globe. And it was the warmest July by a long shot. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. We begin in Sudan, where the two top commanders of Sudan's warring parties, the Sudan Armed Forces and the Rapid Support Forces, are set to have a face-to-face meeting in Djibouti under the auspices of the regional body IGAD. It would be the first meeting between General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan and General Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo since fighting began more than eight months ago. Uh, more than 10,000 people have been killed and millions displaced by the conflict. RSF advisor Yusuf Aizad told VOA Today that RSF commander Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo agreed to meet and today he will head out, to, out of Khartoum to the region. Conflicting reports have surfaced so far about a possible postponement of the highly anticipated meeting. On Monday, Sudan's former Prime Minister, Abdullah Hamdok, said he had sent two official letters to Sudan's warring generals, requesting, quote, an urgent meeting for consultation on the effective ways to hold the war that has resulted in the killing and displacement of Sudanese citizens, the destruction of infrastructure, and the ongoing threat to the country's stability, end quote. RSF Commander Mohammed Hamdan Dagulu wrote on his X account, that he received the letter with a sense of urgency and responsibility and that he embraced the any prospect of holding a meeting as soon as possible. He said he welcomed all national initiatives aimed at fostering peace and reducing the hardships resulting from this war. Sudan's army chief, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, has not publicly commented on the call by Hamdok. In recent weeks, the RSF has made military gains in parts of the country, including Darfur and Al Jazeera State. Neither IGAD nor the warring parties have so far released any communication about whether the meeting occurred today or will occur sometime later this week. Activists in Juba say 2023 saw a sharp increase in domestic violence across the country. Ria William Yuyada heads Crown the Women South Sudan, a women's non-profit. She says most perpetrators of domestic violence are not held accountable in South Sudan, and her organization is appealing to the signatories of the 2018 peace deal to implement Chapter 5 of the agreement, which addresses issues to do with justice reforms. 2023 has been a very tough year. This is for me personally uh, because of the work that we have been doing, working with uh, women and girls, even boys and men that go through violence, uh, including domestic violence, child marriage, forced marriages, we thought would be on a decrease because of the too much work and awareness that many of us are doing collectively. But we see also there are many cases coming up. I, I think it's because people now know that there is 
an outreach or where to go when there is a, a problem. The whole of this year in Crown the Woman, we have handled over 200 cases um, uh, of gender-based violence. Of different uh, forms of gender-based violence, um, minor and major, major ones uh, as well. These include domestic violence, these include uh, child marriages, forced marriages, rape. We have also been doing a lot of work to mitigate uh, and also support survivors of uh, sexual and gender-based violence. On a legal basis, we have partnered with different uh, organizations and partners like law, the Legal Action Aid Worldwide, that is a funding coming in from NORAD. With that specifically in Crown the Woman, we provide trauma healing sessions, counseling, psychosocial support, and also temporary shelter as well for survivors until they're able to get some needs. And, and, and how many survivors are in these temporary shelters? I cannot give you uh, a specific number because uh, we are still compiling the annual reports, but there have been more than 20 per se. And uh, for the temporary shelter arrangement is basically to keep them there until they get the services that they need. We also work on educating survivors, specifically survivors of conflict-related sexual violence, on understanding the legal systems in place uh, and where they can report and where they can go. But also in Crown the Woman, we give them uh, the witness and victim pre uh, protection measures. For example, if you're faced with this, where do you go? Who do you report to? Um, who do you talk to? How do you keep your case safe because in most cases when things happen like this the case would disappear. Uh, I remember there was a case this year I cannot recall an exact uh, exact month um, but it was a gender based uh, violence in a sense it was domestic violence and um, we took the survivor to the police station so we also work a lot with the police and we are grateful for the police so far for the work that they do in partnership with us and this specific case, it was the perpetrator is a person who works with the UN. And uh, it's complicated, also the family of the person and all these kind of things. And we were told specifically, uh, be careful, this case may disappear. So Some, you're talking about influential people using their powers to, if you like, shoot freely in the air and go without being arrested. Yes, without uh, being held accountable. This is also one of the challenges we, we, we face uh, uh, as well. And uh, it was complicated. In a sense, we go to one police station, we are told to go to the other police station, go get a Form 8. And with a Form 8, they will tell you, pay some money, 500 pounds or 1,000 pounds, to access the Form 8. So Form 8 is a form that the police gives you so that you can fill in the incidents that happened, where did it happen, when, and who was involved. And who is a perpetrator, and who is a perpetrator, mm. and yeah, things like that. It's, it's like to preserve, to preserve evidence. And for you also to access uh, maybe medical uh, treatment, uh, you, then you, you're supposed to take from eight to the doctors. You have a gender-based hotline that people can call so that they, they get help. 
Yes. Can you give the number and how can people get help? So in Crown the Woman, we have a, a toll-free GBV hotline. It is 623-SITA-ITNEN-TALATA. And it's toll-free in a sense that when you call it, you're not charged airtime. It's us who are charged uh, airtime. And when you call that number, it's forwarded to five different persons so that they can be able to pick. But currently we have a shortage of social workers because we don't have funds. And so it's now one person handling all the five phones, which is very difficult for us to take care of over maybe 10 cases that come in every day. Is there anything that you wanted to achieve in 2023 and you did not achieve and you're pushing it for 2024? Well, uh, if you look at South Sudan right now, we are in a space where laws are being reviewed and uh, we have the peace agreements that have chapters that are still pending, like the Chapter 5 of the peace agreement, um, which talks about transitional justice mechanisms, uh, the hybrid court, uh, the CTRH, that's a commission of truth, reconciliation and healing, and in Crown the Woman, we, we said, uh, let us focus on healing of survivors. So we have a movement of survivors uh, where we, we are part of a consortium with different organizations like Center for Peace, um, where we support survivors. And in our healing work, uh, this year, for example, we had a retreat in Ginger, uh, the source of the Nile, uh, with some survivors and human rights defenders. Um, we also had a retreat uh, just a few days ago here in Juba at Fire Tree. This retreat brought together different uh, beneficiaries of our programs and basically to hear from them how we have supported them and how we can improve. That's Ria William Yuyada, Executive Director of Crown the Women South Sudan, a Juba-based women's group advocating for an end to gender-based violence in South Sudan. She spoke with my colleague John Tanza earlier today in Juba. Since the start of Russia's invasion, the Ukrainian healthcare system has been under tremendous duress. Thousands of people filled the hospitals with battlefield-type injuries. A Ukrainian-born doctor in New York City has stepped up to help his medical peers in the country he once called home. VOS Johnny Fernandez has the details. The images of war-torn Ukraine are heartbreaking for Odessa-born Dr. Alex Moroz the director of one of New York University Langone Hospital's physical residency programs. I grew up there and then I moved to U.S. and got my training and made my life here and became American. But as it turned out, uh, I never really left here. In 2023, he started the prosthetics observership at NYU Langone Health after learning the Ukrainian healthcare system was completely overwhelmed. Its doctors desperately needed more training on treating battlefield type of wounds, training his program now provides. The main focus of their two-week training has been on limb loss, prosthetics and rehabilitation, and also care of complex fractures, because with the modern blast injuries that they're unfortunately seeing, they have a very high number of patients who lost limbs. The program is sponsored by American nonprofit organizations. Its goal is to bring Ukrainian medical professionals to New York City and teach them the skills that they would apply back home. 
Ukrainian doctor Valentina Savich is one of the three participants in this round of training. All the medical professionals learn how to work with prosthetics, a growing need in Ukraine. A lot of fractures, a lot of different uh, types of injuries that I haven't seen previously and I want to get some experience uh, of this and uh, to understand uh, how to work with them. Savage says the program opened her eyes to new ways of treating soldiers and patients that are affected by the Russian invasion in Ukraine. During the two weeks, visiting professionals not only learn about the latest biotechnology associated with prosthetics, but also receive training in helping the wounded to cope with mental traumas associated with the ongoing conflict. It's a really great experience for me because I work with a patient that has gotten amputations uh, during the war. I haven't learned this in the university. That's why uh, I try to find uh, every resource of information for improving my work, improving my knowledge. Savic and Moroz both believe this program is one way to rebuild their beloved country. I even can't uh, explain this uh, feeling because it's like something warm here because uh, you see the other people that have done their best to to uh, to develop themselves as a professional and the community here is unbelievable. Despite living on the opposite sides of the Atlantic, both doctors believe Ukraine will move forward to brighter days. Johnny Fernandez, VOA News, New York. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Several people were wounded in Democratic Republic of Congo's capital today as riot police forcibly dispersed a banned protest by the opposition, who are calling for a rerun of last week's chaotic national elections. Police surrounded the headquarters of Martin Fayulu, one of five of President Felix Chizikedi's challengers who had called on their supporters to march in Kinshasa against the presidential and legislative poll. The protests come as the National Election Authority continues to release partial results of last week's election. From Goma, reporter Zanim Neti Zaidi has details. Here, press statement by presidential candidate Setki Kuni case the Congolese opposition believes that the elections should only be rerun. He says after investigating detailed reports of the results by central electoral bodies, observation missions, journalists and civil society, the polls do not have any credibility. He says the opposition is calling for the immediate cancellation of the chaotic elections marred by what he calls massive fraud as documented by all stakeholders. This statement comes as the Independent National Electoral Commission is in the process of publishing the partial results of the presidential vote. Nehemi Habayue, a member of the Union Sacre de la Nation, the President Chisekedi's political party, says the opposition should simply have boycotted the entire process. 
He says if the Congolese political opposition had really thought the elections would not be transparent, then they should not have withdrawn from the competition. He says that not long ago they declared that they were going to win the elections, but today they start calling for the cancellation of the polls. He says only because they are losing, and that is cowardly. According to sociopolitical analyst Patrice Sheria, the opposition is right to contest the results given by Seni in full respect of the law. He says the post-electoral period always poses problems in the country because there are very often protests against the results proclaimed by the Electoral Commission. It is normal and legal for a candidate who feels cheated to contest but only before justice and they should not take action that would set the country on fire. The announcement of the partial results has started and 1,876,877 voters have already been counted in over 40 electoral districts. So far, Felix Antoine Chisekedi leads with 1,527,618 voters or 81.40% of the total. His closest competitor is Moise Katumbi with 284,952 voters or 15.20%. For VOA Africa, I'm Zanem in Goma. Democratic Republic of the Congo. As heavy fighting continues in Gaza, Israelis and Palestinians are thinking about what will happen in Gaza after the war ends. The Palestinian Authority says it is prepared to take over Gaza, but Israel says it cannot have any role. Linda Gratstein reports for VOA from Jerusalem. For more than nine months, every Saturday night, tens of thousands of Israelis filled the streets to protest against Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's plan to take power from the Supreme Court and give it to the government. One of the protest leaders was a group of army reservists called Brothers in Arms. But on October 7th, when thousands of Hamas gunmen invaded 22 Israeli communities bordering Gaza, killing 1,200 Israelis and taking 240 people hostage, everything changed. Ron Scherf is one of the founders of the Brothers and Sisters in Arms movement. Immediately, I think the uh, previous uh, protest movement is, uh, was cancelled and everybody um, immediately started or came together to, to help to strengthen Israel again because Israel was in a very weak position. A few weeks after the Hamas terror attack, the Israeli army launched a massive ground invasion of Gaza that Palestinians say has killed more than 18,000 in Gaza. Mechemer Abu Sada is a professor of political science at Al-Azhar University in Gaza. The destruction which has been inflicted on Gaza by the Israeli army is, is just so immense. Uh, it's just beyond imagination. Uh, uh, um, complete neighborhoods uh, have been leveled up, uh, have been erased. Uh, 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 the level and magnitude of, of the destruction 
is just going to take years and years. International agencies warn of a growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza as heavy fighting continues. Palestinians say they want the international community to impose a ceasefire. We demand a ceasefire. What happened is enough. We are civilians. We don't have any wanted people or anything here. Why are we being here? We are civilians with children and women. Israel says it has two goals in this war, to destroy Hamas's military capability and to free the hostages. During a week-long ceasefire in November, Hamas freed 110 hostages, mostly women and children, in exchange for more than 300 Palestinian prisoners. Hamas still holds 129 hostages. The families of the hostages say they fear time is running out to get them back alive. Ruby Chen's son, Itai, is a hostage in Gaza. Put the best offer on the table to get the hostages back alive. Alive. We don't want them back in bags. That requires to act now. We have no time. The Biden administration has been supportive of Israel, providing aid and weapons in the face of nearly unanimous international condemnation of Israel's conduct of the war. But there are deep divisions between how the U.S. and Israel envision the future of Gaza. Jonathan Reinhold is a professor of political science at Bar-Ilan University. The current Israeli government is utterly opposed to a two-state solution. And since Mr. Netanyahu is dependent on the most right-wing elements uh, in the Israeli political system, um, he is unlikely to make moves in that direction, which is why the president no doubt said that he felt that Mr. Netanyahu should have a different coalition. According to polls, a majority of Israelis say Netanyahu should be replaced once the war ends. But until then, Netanyahu leads the fight against Hamas in a bitter war with no end in sight. Linda Gradstein, VOA News, Jerusalem. 2023 demolished temperature records worldwide. It was the hottest year on record, and some scientists say the hottest in 125,000 years. Those supercharged temperatures helped drive a series of climate disasters around the world. VOS Steve Baragona has a look back. Wildfires in Canada, flooding in Libya, two disasters in a year of weather extremes. 2023 will go down as the hottest year on record. Every month from June through November was the hottest for that time of year. Sarah Kapnick is chief scientist at the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. July 2023 was the warmest July on record for the globe. And it was the warmest July by a long shot. September's global temperatures were so much hotter than normal that one climate scientist called them absolutely gobsmackingly bananas. Relentless heating from human-driven climate change, plus the periodic global weather phenomenon known as El Nino, drove extreme weather around the world, says Deputy Director Samantha Burgess of the European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Service. So we know with this extra heat in the atmosphere, it brings with it extra energy, which means um, we get more intense extreme events. Not every bout of bad weather is due to climate change. But climate scientists, what the World Weather Attribution website, found the fingerprints of global warming on these weather disasters. In April, Thailand and Laos broke all-time high temperature records. 
The scientists say that heat wave was nearly impossible without climate change. The Western Mediterranean shattered temperature records that month in a heat wave made 100 times more likely. Southern Europe roasted again in July. So did China and the United States-Mexico border region. The southwestern U.S. city of Phoenix logged 31 days over 43.3 degrees Celsius, or 110 Fahrenheit. That's a record, says University of Arizona environmental planning professor Kathy Jacobs. This is not a record anyone wanted to break, but it's definitely one that people in Phoenix are not happy about. The intensity of these heat waves was almost impossible without climate change, according to World Weather Attribution. But on today's hotter planet, we can expect them every 5, 10, or 15 years. Higher temperatures dry out soils and vegetation faster. That helped make the record-breaking wildfires that ravaged eastern Canada this year at least seven times more likely and 50% more intense. That's also what amplified the severe droughts in Syria, Iraq, and Iran, and the food security crisis in Somalia and the rest of the Horn of Africa. Both were made at least 100 times more likely. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Although Somalia makes virtually no contribution to climate change, the Somalis are among the greatest victims. Climate change intensifies droughts, but also floods, because warmer air holds more water, which means heavier rainstorms, like the one that burst dams in Libya in September and killed thousands. The World Weather Attribution Team says it was 50 times more likely and 50% more intense than it would have been without climate change. And November's torrential rains in the Horn of Africa were about twice as intense. Frederica Otto leads the World Weather Attribution Group. Already the drought has brought many people in the area to the brink of what they are able to deal with. And this now followed by, by floods really shows the limits of what people can adapt to are really not far off in, in many parts of the world. And as long as we are keeping burning fossil fuels, these things will happen again and again and again. Forecasters say El Nino probably will taper off around the middle of next year. But there's no sign that climate change is letting up. As we continue to warm the planet, weather that used to be extreme is happening more and more often. Steve Barragona, VOA News. And we end the show with this message from one of our listeners in Juba. Hello, Biohei. My name is Pukchuni Yokoi from Juba, South Sudan. My message goes to South Sudanese leaders. I want them to implement peace agreement fully with our reservation. Uh, 218 peace agreement, it is like Bible. Bible, there is all chapters in the Bible. The same is a peace agreement. There is a chapters need to be implemented, not to be jammed. My second greeting goes to BOE staff, John Tanda, Munyangde bin Mayar in Juba, and the old BOE staff. My second greeting goes to all BOE listeners in the world and in South Sudan. In South Sudan, there is a problem of a crisis, like food. Since the crisis happened, we have issue of food. Uh, the same, we have issue of uh, insecurity. But this year, we want it to be a year of peace without problem. Every new year, 
Hey Merry Christmas and Happy Peaceful South Sudan. Thank you very much. And that's all we have for you this Tuesday, rather Wednesday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with Balomba remix by Baby Philip featuring Eddie Kenzo. Come dance with us. Let's do the dance. Call everybody. Here is the party. We've been listening to the Balomba remix by Baby Philip. I'm your host, Nabil Biajo in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Gwen Wooden and engineer David Greensburg, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Remember to join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.